Hello, everyone. Welcome to Next Off, a Victory Briefs podcast. I'm Lawrence Zoe, coming at you from Oklahoma, joined by Chris Tice, who is holed up in Boston, and Jacob Nails, who is currently, I believe, residing in Louisiana. Uh, how are you all doing this week? Hunky-dory. Yeah, just fine. Another week in isolation. Well, during this time in isolation, uh, we are here to discuss all things Circuit Lincoln-Douglas debate. We publish new episodes every other week, and this is our second episode where we'll be having an informal discussion about our thoughts on the current Jan-Feb nuclear arsenals topic. Before we discuss the topic, though, we just wanted to remind our listeners that we have a Google form linked in the description where you can submit feedback or suggestions for future topics. Finally, thanks to Victory Briefs for sponsoring this podcast. Victory Briefs is a summer debate institute and publisher of debate materials, which you can learn more about at victorybriefs.com. All right, we'll come back in a short moment where we'll discuss some core thoughts on this topic right after this. All right. So for our first section, we're just going to talk about some of our thoughts about the nuclear arsenals topic. And before we get into some of the specific questions and specific controversies that we have, I kind of just want to open this up for a general survey of the state of debate. Like, how is this topic going? What are some of the arguments that are winning? How's the meta playing out? What are y'all's assessment of how this topic is playing out so far? I can go. I think that the topic was pretty solid and I, there's still TOC coming up, but overall I think it was pretty well rounded. There's a good body of literature. It covers a lot of policy, philosophical ground, et cetera. It's relatively clear. Uh, I know there's some theoretical issues that I'm sure we'll get into, but uh, certainly there have been vaguer and worse topics written. And so I think I rated it in advance of the topic coming out in A. And I, I'd stick by that. I'd say it's an A quality topic. I actually, I think it might be close to A plus. Um, I can't think of a topic in recent history that I've liked more. I think the closest might be military aid, but that topic was plagued with topicality issues. I mean, not that this one isn't, but uh, that one was plagued with more topicality issues, IMO. This one's like a lot more straightforward. And I think there's a lot better literature, much deeper, much more like much more historical evidence to draw from. Overall, I've enjoyed the research on this topic a lot more in general. And I haven't really been judging much this topic, but the debates that I've judged overall, I think I liked more than the military aid topic. I agree. I think it's the best topic we've had in quite a long time. Um, I will say the literature base, really good, but I feel like we haven't really gotten as deep as I would have expected as the topic has gone on on some of the more intricate like deterrence issues, uh, sort of the core areas. We've only sort of scratched the surface. There's been sort of a rush to like, find tiny little plans and things instead of going deeper on the core issues. That'd be my only only complaint. Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I feel like there's, there's a huge body of literature back and forth on deterrence and stuff like that. And it, people have used the excuse of there not being literature to go talk about random issues in the weeds. And I feel like that could not be further from the truth. Uh, there's a whole lot that could be said that hasn't been yet. Yeah, it's kind of, a, it's kind of annoying because like people who go to poli-sci classes know that there's courses that are straight up a year long on just deterrence because there's so much about it. And then it seems like everyone just abandoned the deterrence DA after tournament one because they're like, oh, we've kind of exhausted that argument. It's like, hmm, I, I don't think so. There, there's way more here that we're just not getting into. And I kind of wish that we would. And I guess this kind of just represents one of the ways in which debate arguments uh, kind of deviate from the way that like actual scholars do their research. And it's a little bit sad and unfortunate. I kind of wish that there was more on that. But, but overall, still pretty good. 
So one area that's been good and one area that's been bad. I think this topic has been very good for impact calc. I think uh, at least some debaters have gotten very good at doing you know, extinction first, extinction not first. Those sorts of arguments come up a lot. Nuclear war versus other issues, whether it caused extinction in the first place. I think one issue that's often covered but undercovered in a lot of debates on other topics is like whether nuclear war is really an existential risk in the first place and i like that a lot of these debates have sort of seriously called into question on both sides you know the nuclear winner is it existential is it not are some nuclear wars existential and i think that's actually been one of the positive areas of the topic on i guess the the flip side one area that i i thought was central from the very very beginning of the topic and that i feel like i've seen basically no one ever really del delve into is those sorts of rearmament related questions about whether you know, current deterrent relationships are stable or become more unstable if we attempt to disarm. And I think that debaters have sort of assumed or uh, been too worried about, you know, just like sort of the yeah, fiatting through those questions uh, so that they don't actually cover that, which I think I take to be probably the best negative argument on this topic and no one is running it. I, I completely agree. The transition instability plus rearm arguments are in the literature pretty core to the negative argument and don't really come up very much in most debates that I see. And when they do, basically what happens is the AF says durable fiat, the neg says, all right, fair enough. And that's the end of the discussion. Tragic. Yeah, I, I think we'll dive more into this here in a second because we'll kind of discuss what fiat is on this topic and some of the related concerns that it has towards this rearm question. But I'll just echo that. It's really sad that the rearm argument just isn't more to an R's. I mean, like most AFs spend five seconds answering they're like one durable fiat like that's all they said say on it and it's like a neg that just goes for a minute long defensive fiat that kind of disproves the afs argument there wins all these debates i mean it turns everything the AF says i don't know why more people aren't jumping in on rearm i think part of it's just because they're deterred by judges who don't want to vote for this argument for one reason or another it's also i think dragging a few other arguments down with it like one argument that everyone seemed to think was going to be a core argument for the very beginning of the topic was the NFU counter plan. And I, you know, I've seen people discussing it. I remember that being uh, read a few times early in the topic. And I think the thing that's really hamstring in the NFU counter plan is just it doesn't really have a net benefit given the current set of dissets people are running. Like you can't take the deterrence dissent and read with the NFU counter plan because you can't deter conventional wars if you make a declaration promising not to use nukes in conventional wars. And so that counter plan, I think, is struggling because if they have to sort of fiat away nukes, there's not really a whole a lot of comparative advantage to keeping nukes for deterring nukes. Uh, I feel like the the best arguments for the NFU counter plan, the best net benefits that pair with it, are these sort of rearm related questions. Is like we've got ourselves into a, a nuclear dilemma, and stable or unstable, you know, can't really exit it. So the best thing we can do is sort of maintain this sort of NFU posture where we hold our nukes for defensive purposes. And this sort of fiat question about rearmament is also making counterpunts like that hard to win because the main net benefits truthfully rely on those sorts of instability questions that the app is just sort of wishing away. Yeah, it also seems to me that the fiat question related to rearm also dragging down the related, but I think distinct question of sort of transition instability. There are sort of two potential ways of getting to a transition argument. There's the once you exit the world of nuclear weapons, that's an unstable world, but there's also like the wind down becomes unstable as you cross certain thresholds argument, which to me doesn't necessarily seem like it's taken out even by the durable fiat argument, but sort of seems to be by association. Yeah, I feel like a lot of debaters seem to be operating in debates that I've judged at least under the assumption that like if we passed a policy saying we want to disarm tonight, that that would happen like, 
overnight or over a week or a month. And we just like immediately get rid of all of our nukes. And I, I feel like it's almost certainly not the way it would play out. Like even if you sort of wish away the, the rearmament question, you're looking at, you know, years or even like a you know, decade plus uh, process of slowly winding down via arms control, et cetera, until a nuclear zero. It's not a thing that just sort of we wake up one day and the nukes are gone. So there's definitely a lot of room to argue that that transitional period is highly unstable. Right. And that, that should be an argument that is being made in debates, too, is a lot of the plans, for example, that are being run are dependent on very sort of time sensitive scenarios, which also envision nukes instantaneously disappearing, right? There's like some imminent crisis over Kashmir. We need to get rid of nukes. When best case scenario, it would take the years for most disarm. I don't know about those India and Pakistan in particular, but I know there's evidence out there that says it would take under a best case scenario, the US over a decade to decommission nukes working as quickly as we possibly could. I think the most egregious example of that, and I do agree, is those North Korea apps at the very beginning on those first you know, December tournaments, reading the cards are like, Kim Jong-un is going to attack by Christmas. <laughs> we need to disarm now in <laughs> the next week, <laughs> as if that is a thing that could possibly occur. Right. So that's like a wish list of things that in a better world of debate or like a different world of debate, we wish more debaters would do this, but we still think this is a pretty good topic. I think the meta is overall pretty great. So like, what are the things that are winning? What are the things that are doing well? And like, what is good about those things that are winning? I know what I see the most and on the neg in terms of disads, it's definitely uh, the CBW disad. Um, in terms of other core negative counter plans, I guess I see NFU quite a bit despite Nails's concerns. But I, th- I think, for the most part, that's that's the core debate. I don't see much uh, of the turns discussion, unless it's very particular to um, a country that is in the plan, the AF. And I don't see much of the transition discussion at all. Yeah, I'd say probably the most common 2NR I've seen has been some combination of NFU plus CBW. Arguably, CBW doesn't link to NFU as obviously as deterrence would. Kind of strange. It does not seem like the vast majority of nuclear weapons scholars seem to think that CBW shift is like as big of a threat as debaters seem to think that it is. And I think that's good, as uh, you all mentioned earlier, like it is forcing some better impact calc, like teams going for the CBW DA have to get really good at the technical aspects of winning that CBWs cause extinction, as well as dig into the details for why full-blown nuclear war would not cause extinction either. Well, the CBWs just said, I recall the link back when I debated this topic, when it was the the fall 2010 topic being more along the lines of nuclear weapons deter CBWs like a state that has nukes can prevent other countries from using CBWs against it. I think an example was Israel deterring use of CBWs by other countries like Egypt. And it seems like almost every CBW disset I've judged this year, and y'all can tell me if your experience differs. The link has not been so much that it's been this new set of cards that have come out in the last few years that are like, when the states tend to give up the nuclear weapons, they tend to acquire CBWs in response. Like it's not a nukes key to deter other countries' CBWs. It's nukes key to deter ourselves from accident, like getting CBWs for ourselves. And I don't know, that, that link just seems to be so much more speculative. Like I can't imagine an argument that's like, I should get a handgun because if I don't get a handgun, I will acquire an assault rifle. <laughs> like it seems like the perfectly obvious solution is just not to get either. And so I feel like the version of CBWs just said, this year has been much stranger uh, in my mind than I recall it being. 
Yeah, that's been my experience as well. I think that's probably largely driven by an aversion to deterrence-based arguments on behalf of negatives. I think there's a little fear that because it's so obvious and so core that they can't actually dig in and win those debates, which I think is wrongheaded. So beyond what I take to be the obvious illogic of this argument, which I think would never win if it was a an uh, AF argument because it would just lose to an advantage counterpoint to not do that thing. If people read it with counterplans, to my mind, fundamentally don't make sense with it. Like the, take the, the NFU counterplan, mm-hmm. right? So if, if the idea is states currently value nukes a lot and then they feel insecure without uh, nukes, so they'll shift to CBWs, either one or two things is true. Either they, they value those nukes because they're afraid of conventional conflicts, in which case those nukes lose their value in a world of NFU, in which case they would shift to CBWs anyway, or they value those nukes because they're worried about nuclear conflicts from other countries, in which case the AF stalls because it gets rid of nukes in the other countries that would be being deterred. And so I can't imagine a coherent story in which the CBW dissent, at least with that link, actually is the net benefit to the NFU counterplan. Either the AF solves or the negative links to its own net benefit. I think this point, people, like, people just don't make the argument that the counterpoint links to that benefit very much, which is weird because like most of the counterpoints on this topic truthfully do. Yeah, I've, I've been kind of surprised because it's like when the students that I coach go for this, for some reason, the one error just like does not make that argument. And in my mind, it seems like a pretty strong one. And I don't really know what the response to that is. I mean, like obviously we have blocks and stuff. I just don't know what the true response to that is. Yeah, I think this, the CBW just said in my mind sort of has a superficial form of a good debate argument and it's got the, the techie things that make it strategic. I feel like it's one of the least true negative arguments. I, it seems pretty untrue as well. I mean, uh, so transitioning this to a separate question. One of the reasons I think it's untrue is just because the quality of AF evidence to suggest that states do not actually self-deter themselves from acquiring nuclear weapons or chemical and biological weapons is just the fact that it seems like on this topic, the AF literature in general has been pretty good. And it seems like any technically competent debater should win most 2ARs on just like any risk of nuclear weapons use outweighs means that the AF should be winning a lot of their debates. I think probably more so than other topics, which I previously assumed were AF biased. And yet, it seems like from a preliminary, you know, cursory glance at outround stats from a lot of the big tournaments like Berkeley and Harvard shows that it's pretty balanced, if not neg biased. And I was just wondering what you all thought was the reason for this discrepancy between what I think is just obvious, an obvious fact that the AF should win the vast majority of their rounds um, and the win percentages. When you say it's neg bias, are you saying relative to other topics? or uh, just... No, I mean just in general, like more than 50%. <laughs> oh, I think there's a, a, a very simple underlying explanation for why LD rounds might be leaning towards the negative. Well, is... yeah, but it, I mean, <laughs> I re- but there were topics where it was absurdly AF biased, if I recall uh, from recent memory. Some of the November, December topics like uh, qualified immunity, I recall having like an absurdly high AF bias because the neg would just had to go for the court clog DA every single time. And obviously there was no link or impact to that. And so I remember the apps just soundly sweeping up those debates, like by a pretty good margin. There was also, if I recall, a couple Jan Febs ago, maybe more than a couple. There, oh, the environmental protection topic. The resource extraction topic, which overall wasn't too neg biased, but it outrounds the TOC, um, or was pretty neg biased in general, but it outrounds the TOC, like every AF one, because the apps were just so different. And if you could find one that was small, that didn't link to the core disads, you would just win. That topic is just empirical proof of the limits disad. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was like, I only wanted to debate the topic, so I have to devote 48 hours a day to researching case negs. Yeah, I, I mean, I, like I remember our strat was actually just to brute force it and cut a million counter plans to a million different apps. But I don't think that was a, a reasonable expectation to have a debaters. Going back to the, the question for this topic, though, I feel like it strikes me that the quality of literature does not seem all that strongly correlated to AFNEG win rates on most topics. I feel like my impression of which topics are you know, true or false seems to have little bearing on who ends up winning a lot of rounds. I think there's a few reasons for that. One is if, if the topic is true or false, it's usually true or false because one of the stock arguments is very true or false. Like on the banned nuclear energy topic, the warming decide was just true. Uh, and I feel like debaters very quickly just view those arguments as passe and then gravitate away from the true arguments towards arguments that have strategic value by virtue of being unpredictable. And that sort of nullifies any advantage of, you know, a particular topic being more true than another is they've gravitated away from the, the arguments that would make it more true. And so ends up not being a relevant factor. And the second is just honestly, the number of, t uh, especially, you know, high level rounds, like we're talking about ELIMS at Berkeley and stuff, the number of those rounds that are resolved on a core topic question in the first place is honestly not that high. Like I remember judging TUC last year, I think a large majority of the rounds I judged were you know, topicality debates in one way or another or otherwise not particularly core topic questions. And so even if the topic is just like clearly Afro-Neg leaning, it, that's just not the central concern that most debates are being resolved on in the first place. So I like largely agree with the general assessments, which is like debaters shy away from the arguments that make it true or not. Quality of literature doesn't necessarily correlate. Obviously, the time skew is a large confounding variable. Plus, debates are sometimes not decided on the substance as it relates to the topic. And yet, it seems like it doesn't apply too much for this topic. So most of my evidence is anecdotal slash limited to the brief time that I've been here in the States again. But most of the elims at Berkeley were topic focused to some degree. Uh, and when it wasn't topic focused, I think most most often it was the introduction of a critique by the negative. There was still a huge number of whole res apps being read uh, by teams that don't specify weapons or states. So it, it seems weird to me that like all of those sort of general reasons don't apply super strongly to this topic. And yet it's still not as AF biased as I would have previously imagined. As I mentioned, um, you know, even if quality of literature in general doesn't correlate, like one of the things that just favors the AF on this topic, especially is a 2AR that competently executes any risk of nuclear war outweighs, I think should win 99% of their debates. And yet that's still not happening. I, what are the topic specific reasons for why the NEG is winning more than I think they ought to? Yeah, I feel like the, the two you're describing does pretty well in local debates, at least the few that I judged on the topic. And I think that suggests it's probably something along the lines of debaters intentionally or, or inadvertently let the, the topic drift away from that core concern in a whole lot of rounds. And it comes down to, you know, what the app did or didn't specify or something like that. And uh, the more the debate stays about just like nukes, are they good or are they bad? The app should be in a better spot. Yeah, yeah, Lawrence, I think most apps I've seen on this topic have either been not whole res or they've been whole res but haven't been focused on the risk of nuclear war. They've been like weird and critical or more about sort of structural violence issues. Um, and so I don't think I've seen many two ARs that have actually ended up that way. And that might be part of what's contributing to it. I think a lot of debaters assume that reading a plan necessarily makes uh, the AF more strategic. Whereas on this topic, I think reading a plan in some cases is less strategic, obviously, because you uh, explode actually the number of disads that the negative can read, the impacts that they can generate are larger. They can get access to a nuclear war impact and sort of 
level the playing field there. Whereas against the whole app, basically people can read what? CBW, deterrence, that's it. And you get to solve nuclear war no matter what. Uh, and I don't think a lot of people have actually appreciated that fact. Yeah, so I, I, I want to transition then into views of fiat as it relates to this topic here in a second. But I do want to like latch onto that point, which is that independent of whether or not you think Niebel T is true or not, on this topic, I just don't know what the strategic incentive to not read a whole res app is. Like, as, as you just mentioned, you're giving the neg better ground while capping your best ground. And I just don't understand what the strategic incentive for that is. I mean, I guess you get slightly different advantage areas, but none of them are nearly to the same scale as just a whole res's nuclear war impact. And I, I, I think the biggest probably motivating reason is that people are really worried about small picks when they're AF. And I think that might be it. And yet, I just don't see the pick on these topics to be particularly threatening. I mean, what are the core ones? Like first strike aliens, first strike asteroids, random country pairings that ought to have nukes. For some reason, North Korea pick where North Korea is the only state that should have nuclear weapons, which seems ludicrous to me, has become absurdly popular. I don't know. Like, am I just getting the threat assessment wrong here? Like what, like, are apps being rational when they're doing this? Or are they just making a mistake? I I think it's even worse than you said. I think there are some plans. I don't I don't think plan, plans in general do it make sense on this topic. I don't think that's true. I think there can be, in particular rounds, particular situations, strategic plans on this topic. Unfortunately, I don't think people are really doing those. They're just reading India and Pakistan every single time, or like US on its own, or a North Korea plan, all of which I don't think for a variety of reasons are super strategic. Um, so I, I think people are just completely getting this wrong. They're trying to be strategic by avoiding whole res, but then going to the same three or four plans that everyone is reading. And so they're not even getting the element of surprise. So it seems like there's two fundamental ways that one could specify, uh, at least two core ways. One being pick a country, the other being pick a subset of arsenals. And it seems like the majority of AFs that have read plans have been picking a country or countries. And if the idea is to avoid picks, which is what the AF always says it is in, when they have to answer T in the 1AR, I I'm with Lawrence and not even understanding why one is concerned with that. Like what, what is the, the pick that even makes any sense in this topic? The North Korea pick is trash. Most of the picks, like most of the picks function this way, which is the negative has a, a disadvantage that says in the status quo, this thing is good, right? Like North Korea nukes, given the current geopolitical situation, have some utility to them. And they read a counter plan that just, vastly fundamentally alters that geopolitical paradigm, right? Every other country gets rid of nukes. And then they act as if that just has no relationship to the net benefit. Like North Korea nukes would still be equally viable and equally good in a world where no other country had any nuclear weapons whatsoever, right? I feel like the, like even the United States pick, right? Like there's decent cards that say the U.S. should have more nuclear weapons than its opponents is presupposing <laughs> that those other countries also have nuclear weapons that need to be deterred. Uh, and in a world where we were the, the only pariah, every other country had just gotten their shit together and you know globally disarmed, and we were the one holdout. Like That would not be better for United States hegemony or whatever if we were the, the ones holding up this you know, fundamental, unprecedented progress on a major international relations issue. And I, I have yet to see any pick, with the exception of the asteroids pick, that actually has a single card that says, if we were to disarm all other weapons in all other states, this should be the exception. I, have, I see cards that will say something like, in the status quo, this thing is good. Not in a hypothetical world where every other country got rid of every other weapon, this would still be good. I've seen a, a few articles that do say that for asteroids. And so I think the asteroids pick is at least like a real pick. 
Um, I think the Afghans is a pretty solid and it can be beat. Um, but I think for every other pick is just like, it doesn't make any sense. You just like think about the world that the pick is imagining. It's just kind of a nonsense world where like every other country just agrees to let North Korea be the, the unilateral nuclear superpower or whatever. And so I feel like if, if you're afraid of the asteroids pick, like that is not enough justification, I think, for you know reading some narrow, you know, Russia plan or something. I largely agree. The one case that seems to make the one type of argument that seems to make the most sense there, even though I think I agree with Jacob, you're unlikely to find a card that actually says this, imagining a world where no one has nukes, is very particular conventional war deterrent situations. So Pakistan, India, Kashmir. Uh, U.S., Russia, Baltics. If there's something about conventional war being held, conventional war being held back by the possession of nuclear weapons on either side, that would be unleashed with a lack of deterrence. That makes some sense. Even the, so, I think for a lot of these arguments, debaters like to gravitate towards superficial specificity, right? Like they like to give a two and R that says, "Oh, you've got all these general cards saying the theory of nuclear deterrence fails and backfires and increases conflict and so forth." But I've got a card that says that's false, and it says the word India, <laughs> or it says the word U.S. and Russia and Baltics. And occasionally there'll be like a specific reason why that conflict is you know, unique and fundamentally different. But on this topic and for those like major war disads, I'm, I'm having a hard time imagining why you know, cards that say this is sort of true of the deterrent value of nuclear weapons or here empirical studies saying nuclear deterrence fails, conventional deterrence is better, et cetera. What, how you give a convincing QNR that says this, the logic of deterrence fundamentally it does not make sense for India and Pakistan or for the Baltics. It's going to come down to like, well, India and Pakistan are really hostile as if that isn't true of like every other you know, nuclear dyad that the app is pointing to. And I imagine you know, there's some strategic value that because I think judges do like voting on like, oh, well, they have a specific card that says India and Pakistan. But I, I, I'm sure 90% of those cards are going to be relying on the same sort of general theories of deterrence of working or not working when they make those specific claims such that either you have to answer most of the app anyway, because all the cards saying deterrence fails are going to answer your net benefit. Or you're going to have a really hard time explaining why this is the one exception to thing that you consider to sort of fundamentally true in every other case. So I think two things there. First, I think you're sort of assuming that a lot of AFs have deterrence fails in the AF or even ready to have that debate. And I think that <laughs> maybe I'm being too generous to AFs, but they ought to. And second, I think you're in general right. Although there are some, there are specific reasons for things like India and Pakistan that you can find cards for. So for example, India has such an overwhelming um, conventional superiority, and given the level of animosity, historically you would see um, a deterrence breakdown. The only thing holding them back, cards say, is nuclear weapons. So all, if those arguments are good or not, whether or not they're taken out by broader deterrence or claims the AF can make, probably. But the cards at least make a specific claim, I think, more than you're giving it credit for um, in some of these situations. I mean, they're going to make a claim that it's likely, but are they going to make a claim that it's likely in a way that's not true of most other conflicts, right? Like you can pick tons of dyads where one country has a much larger military, the U.S. versus Russia, North Korea versus anyone, or place where there's animosity and so forth. I think, yeah, I think there's a difference. Um, I think you could find a lot of cards that say Russia, U.S. will not go to war no matter what because it would be so unbelievably destructive regardless of whether nuclear weapons are involved. Whereas you can find a lot of cards that say India, Pakistan, conventional war would be over quick and it'd be easy for India. And that presumably can make a difference. I mean, again, if, if that's the case, you can pick examples like US and Russia before they had massive arsenals in the early stages of the Cold War. You can pick Israel, et cetera. 
like I just you can find distinctions sometimes between one type of conflict and another, right? Like two major nuclear power versus two body nuclear powers, et cetera. But I don't think there's a particularly great argument for just like this one scenario is just his, historically unprecedented in a way that AF examples are not going to account for, AF studies are not going to account for most of the time. I feel like debaters are sort of overselling every time it says India, Pakistan specifically, it means this is somehow true in a way that's not true of any other conflict. It's just articles that happen to be about those particular areas rather than articles that are saying these are the one. Like I remember cutting some cards on India and Pakistan that were in the context of a case study of India and Pakistan for the purpose of making a more general claim about the propensity of nationalist countries to go to conflict nuclear weapons. And a lot of those articles are not assuming that their claims are fundamentally unique to those one country. So it support a claim that nuclear deterrence works. Here's an example, India and Pakistan. Not nuclear deterrence fails. Here's one counterexample. Right. So that's an interesting discussion about picks and the value of specificity and does it even make sense. But one of the things that I mentioned earlier that I'd like to circle around to now is a discussion about what fiat means on this topic. I kind of want to explain perhaps the general view about what maybe the circuit would hold about fiat. And then maybe if Nails could explain how his view kind of departs from there. And that would be, I think, a good uh, launching point for kind of discussing some of the meta as it is explained by the different views of fiat. So As I understand it, the general view of fiat is that when we say states ought to eliminate their arsenals of nuclear weapons, we're making a declaration that all nine states simultaneously should immediately and irreversibly disarm their weapons. And for the purposes of this topic, we can assume multilateral coordination that is somewhat utopian in nature, and we can assume that all nine states would be acting in unison, all of those nine nuclear weapon states. I'll exclude the like, does eliminate nuclear weapons equals non-nuclear weapon states not proliferating in the future stuff. Set that aside for now. But the general view, I think, holds that all nine countries act in unison in that we're basically just imagining a world where poof, all the nukes are gone versus a world in which all the nukes stay, um, or maybe their stance is altered by a counterplan or something like that. That's how I see the general view as. So what's the difference between this view and your view of fiat nails? So uh, I actually wrote an article not too long ago. It wasn't the context of this topic, but it made a point that I think a lot of people sort of get fiat almost backwards. So people correctly identify there's a problem, which is if the, the negative could point out that the AF just is not going to happen, and judges were to take that as a knockdown argument, the AF would be in a tough spot because pretty much no AF is likely to happen, right? You say, we should do this good thing, and the next says, that's not going to happen. And then the AF just loses because most topics are unlikely to occur. Uh, but I think people go about fixing that basically the the opposite of the way they should. They, they tackle the wrong premise. I think the way most debaters sort of implicitly assume that you resolve that problem via fiat is we just sort of imagine away the truth of that argument. We just sort of, for the purpose of the debate, let's just pretend the plan will happen if the judge votes AF. Pretend that the AF has the ability to make the plan occur. Well, now there's no longer a problem because it's no longer true that the AF can't happen, right? The AF just says, well, for the purpose of the debate, it actually is true that my plan can occur. And so I do solve. And that's the way I think most debaters would explain fiat as resolving this sort of ain't going to happen dilemma. I think that's just totally wrong. There's, there's, there's no good basis for assuming that except for like, I would like this to be true because it makes the app more strategic. I think the, the correct answer the app should be giving, the reason why the argument doesn't make sense is not because sort of for debate theory reasons, for the purpose of making debate smoother, we can just make this false assumption. The app should just be saying the topic just says it should happen, right? It, pointing out that it won't happen just doesn't disprove that claim. Even if the app is unlikely, that has no bearing on whether it's mole or not. That's just the is-up fallacy, right? Whether the U.S. should disarm, whether all countries should disarm, just 
it doesn't hinge on whether they're likely to. And so it's not that we, the app does get to assume it will happen. It's that the app doesn't have to assume it will happen for the argument to be valid. I think that, that's the better answer is not, let's just assume that it will happen. Let's just point out correctly that it's irrelevant. So then taking that to a, a multi-actor topic, I think that the difference becomes a lot more apparent because I think the reason why everyone sort of assumes that this topic uh, allows you know, a very utopian multi-agent fiat is just because the way they're used to treating fiat is the resolution describes an action, debate norms allow me to just sort of assume this action is going to occur. And so when the topic describes a bunch of actions by a bunch of states, then the assumption I think has just been off the bat, oh, well then debate norms allow me to assume that all these actions are occurring simultaneously. And then I just get to defend the sort of unified world of all countries just like spontaneously change their minds and doing the same thing uh, for no clear reason. If the question is sort of not, will this thing actually happen, but what is it true that they ought to do? It's not obvious that you can make that assumption, right? It's the claim that uh, all states ought to disarm sort of hinges on what the current situation is for all those states. And so I think it makes assumptions of like multilateral compliance and stuff like that um, more up, up for grabs. An example of this would be the prisoner's dilemma. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, you know, the prisoner's dilemma is just sort of a scenario where you've got two prisoners and they both got caught by the police and they're put in two separate holding rooms. And so the police go to them separately uh, where they can't coordinate with each other and they tell each prisoner, I will tell you what, you can rat out your, your uh, co-conspirator and if you give us information on them, we can put them away for a long time, but we'll reduce your sentence, right? So the, the best case scenario for both prisoners is if neither of them rats, right? They both stay silent, then they both end up in a pretty good world, which is maybe they go away for a short time on a technicality, right? Worst case scenario overall is if they both rat, and then they both go away for a long time because the, the cops have strong evidence for both of them. But if one rats and the other doesn't, then you get this situation where it's the ideal scenario for that one person, they get off, off scot-free, and the worst possible scenario for the other person, which is they go away for a long time um, and they don't even have a, a deal to mitigate that. So that's the basic scenario of the prisoner's dilemma. And you'll see this a lot in economics and politics, et cetera, but basically demonstrates the way that your, the reasons that you can have as an individual can differ from the reasons you can have sort of as a collective body, right? If you view the prisoners as acting as a joint unified body, the answer is trivial. Obviously, you just don't wrap. Problem solved. Best world. Uh, but in the real world, in this scenario, the way it plays out is not that, right? The actual decision-making process happens sort of from two different perspectives that can't be assumed to be unified. And so if the question is, what's rational for a self-interested prisoner to do in this scenario? The answer is not the same as what is rationally self-interested for prisoners as a collective entity to do if they could like make a unified decision. And so it could be true that a world where all prisoners did this is best, and it could still be false that it is true for all these individual prisoners that they ought to disarm. Because if you say a statement, you know, like prisoners ought to to rat out their partners, right? That's sort of evaluated separately from the perspective of each individual prisoner who can't assume the compliance of other prisoners. And so the answer can diverge. So you put that in the context of uh, nuclear weapon states and uh, questions like durable fiat only really seem to imply that, you know, if the US decides to disarm, it can sort of durably guarantee that it doesn't rearm. It can't durably guarantee that other countries aren't going to rearm because it has no way of knowing that. Even if for some reason we just sort of assumed hypothetically that Russia like went along with the plan, 
right? The U.S. has no sort of introspective knowledge into the Russian government. They can't verify that Russia is not going to renege on their commitments and stuff like that. And so the rearmed genocide can still be a real argument in my mind because you aren't assuming this sort of like global perspective of what rationally ought all countries in unison to do. The real topic question, the, the real sort of place where that decision happens is at, each, at the level of each individual government. So the, rearmed, the, the Russia rearmed decide can be a threat for the United States. The U.S. rearmed decide can be a threat for Russia. Even if each state can assume that it itself will not rearm, it can't make that assumption for other countries. And in my view, the topic is the, sort of that individual perspective of what is the individual rational for each state to do, not this sort of like utopian uh, God's eye view. So if your theory of fiat is true, um, which I'm kind of convinced that it is, what implications do you think this would have on the debate meta if it were widely adopted? Like, for instance, what would this change the way that people write whole res afs or like would it invalidate a lot of the ways that they're currently structured? Uh, what would happen? So for most topics, I don't think it changes a whole lot because most topics do have a singular agent, right? Like the United States or you know, an individual or whatever. Uh, but for a multi-actor topic like this one, I think I alluded to this earlier, is I think it makes these sorts of uncertainty, instability, rearm scenarios more of a real concern. Like if I were to, to give what I take to be the truest defense of nuclear weapons, it, it's not like nuclear weapons are just this awesome weapon that are uniquely good at deterring things. It's just sort of the genie's out of the bottle, right? Like countries do have nukes. We're now caught in this sort of you know big standoff where every country's got nuclear guns pointed at each other. And it just doesn't sort of make any sense for a state in a largely anarchic system to put down its own gun with no assurance other countries are going to do the same. Or even if they see other countries putting down their gun, that they're not just going to need to pick it back up again, right? And so given that situation, maybe it sucks that nukes were ever you know, initially invented, but we can't uninvent them. States can't guarantee other countries don't rearm because a lot of large industrial countries can do that very quickly. And so the next best thing any state can do is maintain nukes itself so as to deter those other countries from getting nukes or using nukes. And I think you make the argument that that sort of is generally rational for most countries. And so it is generally true that most countries ought to maintain nuclear weapons just by virtue of living in perfect world where other countries do that. Now, obviously, that argument, I think, one, the way a lot of people view fiat just sort of gets answered by, oh, the F solves fiat. It fiat's way the nukes in all the other countries, so you don't, you don't need the nukes anymore. Um, but I think that sort of artificially deflates what I think is, you know, a correct argument. And I think that is an example of where I think this sort of assume the F actually happens via fiat um, overinflates the quality of the arguments in the real world. So that, I think that's probably the main difference is uh, how it deals with uh, those sorts of scenarios. I think there's like real solvency presses the negative can have that they're not getting access to. And I take the, those to be better than like the CBW just said in terms of course stock negative arguments. On a sort of adjacent note, one thing that we've seen a lot of on this topic is the proliferation of counterplans with like a myriad of different planks, different actors tacked in, things that would widely be considered utopian if the negative were ever to advocate for them. And yet these counterplans are proliferating, doing fairly well. And a lot of the times they are defending themselves by saying something along the lines of like, well, the AF has got the power to fiat the end of nuke war, air negative on all of these counterplan questions yada, yada, yada. It seems to me that the view of fiat that most people hold actually has further ramifications than what you're describing, because I think it really does change a lot of the AFs and the counterplans that are being read out there. Yeah, I think given the way that a lot of AFs are operating, uh, the view of fiat that you described, just described, Lawrence, some of these counterplans that I normally would be pretty hesitant about, I think make kind of a lot of sense, even though they are pretty cheaty. So if the AF is able to 
fiat that India and Pakistan give up their nuclear weapons in coordination with each other, in perfect coordination with each other, and durably forever, and there are no transition problems. I don't really get what the theoretical objection could be to uh, a counterplan plank that like resolves the conflict over Kashmir, even something that goes that far, um, or you know any of the multi-plank counterplans we've seen against that F. That you know puts certain restrictions on certain types of nukes, adopts no first use, all these other conditions that solve most F advantage areas. I just don't see what leg the F has to stand on in those debates. Yeah, I, I'm a hundred percent in agreement with uh, Chris here. I I just really could not have any less sympathy for an AF that says. Well, look, for the purposes of my affirmative, the question is just what ideally would this sort of unified India-Pakistan body do if we could just sort of control both governments in unison? And then when the negative says, well, wait, if we had control of both India and Pakistan, why wouldn't we just peacefully resolve Kashmir? Uh, then the after says, oh, that's that's cheating. How, how dare you assume that they sort of collectively cooperate on a thing? Like, where did you get the idea that you could do that? <laughs> if, if the AF has claimed that that's the, the focus of the debate, well, then, yeah, the sort of reciprocal fiat should extend the negative, which is, if the question is assuming away uncertainties of other agents, then the negative to do it too. And so I think a lot of these sorts of AFs that just say, I'm going to assume without any evidence that, you know, nuclear weapon states just all comply, should be losing to, well, I'm just going to assume they don't go to one in the first place. <laughs> because it's, like, it's a ridiculous utopian assumption, but it's one the AF has already made. And so they, they can't really consistently object to that. And so then you just get kind of weird non-issue debates where both sides have trivially solved the problem. I think, in my mind, the more reasonable way for an after to resolve that would be something along the lines of this. They would say, you know, I'm not assuming compliance. Uh, I have evidence that says, you know, nuclear disarmament is relatively verifiable. You know, IAEA inspections can work. We can tell whether countries are building up their nukes. And even if a country cheated by having like one or two nukes, that's just not enough to trigger the scenario in a way that a country having hundreds of thousands of nukes would. And so the incentives to sort of like minorly diverge from compliance are just not large enough. And then they say, by contrast, an agreement to just promise not to go to war is not as verifiable uh, and can't solve because each country has no reason to trust the other is going to abide by an agreement that just says, we promise we won't go to war, but we're going to keep all of our nukes. And so an AF that sort of admits that fiat is not perfectly uh, utopian or coordinated might have better inroads to answer those counterplans substantively by saying, my agreement of actually putting down your weapons and putting in place measures for verifying that is more verifiable, is more trustable by each other party than just some like pledge to like, you know, agree to divide cashmere in half or something. I don't know. Um, but no apps seem to be doing that. I haven't really seen any apps that just actually have good evidence that their means for disarmament and verification work or exist or, or even things that the app defends. And so then they don't have a leg to stand on when they want to, explain why the campaign doesn't solve because they're fiat insolvency and then they want to claim that neg can't do the same and they'll throw out some like buzzword like object fiat that just makes absolutely no sense especially in this context right so in general like i think i tend to agree with your view of fiat as an aside i think first of all, first of all everyone should read your article i think it's really good uh it also is reminiscent of another article on fiat that's older from policy debate but i think tracks a lot of the same arguments you're making and i think is really useful it's called a counterfactual theory of fiat by Brodebaum. We'll put that in the show notes. Um, but putting aside the truth of your claim on fiat, I want to turn this to a strategic question. It seems, uh, so under your view, then AF has opened up to uh, the transition and the rearm disad, but seems to have the ability to get rid of a lot of these sort of cheaty counterplans that exist um, out there right now. And, you know, 
theoretically could be going even further than they are. Strategically, which side of that coin would you rather have as the AF? Hmm. That's a good question. Oh, we assume we have already, like, already written my affirmative case. I'm just trying to adopt a particular notion of fiat. Because one thing I will say is that a lot of these apps, as written, I think, are ultimately hamstringing themselves, right? Because I'll judge an app that's you know, just a big Indo-Pac nuclear war advantage, and the neg just says, I fiat, they don't go to war, and they solve the entire app, right? So <laughs> the apps that I've seen as written, I think, are ultimately hurting themselves by overstating fiat because they're given the, the negative grounds to equally overstate fiat with counter plans and then just wish away their advantages. So let's say, let's say it's something like this. I think they would probably, under if they adopt this view of fiat, they should be changing what their app looks like. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, something like this might make sense under your theory. All states adopt some international enforcement mechanism to ensure compliance, but that has disadvantages that can be read to it, may or may not solve the average solvency evidence, but why that inspection regime would lead to compliance and lead to trust, um, something along those lines. Yeah, like I get why AFs are doing it because like I said, I think the truest negative arguments are sort of enforcement problems and a lot of you know, nuclear disarmament literature can be a little bit utopian and not explain how it works. And so the, there is some rationale. The problem is just the war advantages really like even like take that Indo-Pak example and scale it up, right? Like if a whole earth after sort of fiats away with no empirical evidence, I, we just assume all countries disarm and they all perfectly comply. Take the no war pact and scale it up and just feel like all major powers just agree to never go to war, right? Like if that app is legitimate, I view that counterplan as reciprocally legitimate on the same grounds. And so I think the answer is if you wanted to write an app like that, it would just need to have some advantage that's like, Nuclear weapons are super expensive and they trade off with social services and stuff. Like there's some literature for that. Just so that when the negative inevitably reads the counterpoint that fiat's away your worst scenario, you can say, well, if we both fiat away the worst scenario, I guess there's, there's no reason to have nukes anymore. And here's some offensive reason not to. And I think, like, I think if you really you know, uh, took that view of fiat seriously and reciprocally, it probably would favor the F. Like it, it's not irrational for the F to think that notion of fiat is good for it. It just leads to sort of trivial debates that are just like, well, if we can assume countries never go to war because we can perfectly fit all those countries, is there ever any reason to have weapons? <laughs> well, no. And then the argument just goes like, nah, the asteroids pick. Come on, the asteroids pick. Yeah, that pick. makes a lot of sense. Like, I've, I've already spotted the asteroids pick as something that the AF does need to deal with. But like, beyond that, the answer is like, it's AF leaning just for the trivial reason of why have weapons if we can fiat away war. <laughs> like, I don't fault AFs for adopting their view of fiat because. I, I'm willing to bet that a lot of them have actually thought at least a little bit through some of the issues that we've thought, thought about here and have just kind of concluded that the trade-offs favor the AF in this world. Like the more utopian they are, like, I mean, it's fine because there's, what's the net benefit to keeping nukes around in the world of utopia? I, I, and it's basically the asteroids pick, which if that's it, four minutes of straight turns to it is not out of the question for the AF. And then basically you're stuck with nothing else as the neg. One AF that I like that I thought sort of took advantage of this without the, the blatant cheatery of fiat I think Chris Yell's kids wrote as well, is the, the virtual arsenal staff, right? The one that just says, yeah, rearmament's a threat. And then just impact turns threat of rearmament and just says, yeah, rearm threat is how we ensure compliance. <laughs> no country is going to rearm nukes if every other country also maintains the capacity to rearm nukes. And then you just say deterrence is good and it, it works even if nukes don't exist. Um, I kind of dig that app just because it's like a horror's app that doesn't require cheating to get uh, decent solvency and good offense. And although it is questionably to you. No, it's not. It is not. <laughs> the evidence is overwhelming, Lawrence. I, it does seem kind of intuitive, but the more I look at the cards, the more I'm persuaded it's probably more athlete than not on topicality questions. 
I said questionable. I didn't say it was like decisively in one one way or the other. I just remember like we we pulled up a we hauled up a good deal of VNAs. Not actually, I think there's, there's a T debate over like T eliminate arsenals, and it could be counter plan rather than an F. Um, certainly, if it's not a good F, then it's a good counter plan. One of those is true. Um, but substantively discussing how nuclear disarmament should go down without requiring sort of utopian notions of fiat, I think the argument is just like. Why even bother verifying it? Let's just get rid of our nukes because we know that we could rebuild if we wanted them. It's just like a pretty good app that solves accidents, solves you know spending and stuff. Uh, and non-unique is pretty much all the returns-based arguments, which is like most of the good neg arguments. I agree. All right. So last thing on this topic, as we mentioned earlier, a lot of these apps have been pivoting away from whole res affirmatives in favor of what they view as more strategic plans. And as you mentioned, that there's kind of two ways that the affirmative can specify. So they can either specify some number of countries, usually more than one, but sometimes not, um, or they can specify some subset of nuclear arsenals to eliminate. And both of these are obviously not topical for reasons of Nebelty slash logic slash common sense. In a world in which you had to pick an affirmative that you preferred to debate against, like one that you thought was quote unquote better for debate, would you rather A, an AF that specified two or more countries, but not all nine not, uh, nuclear weapon states, that in totality eliminated all of their nuclear arsenals. And so common examples of this affirmative would include the US-Russia-AF, India-Pakistan-AF, those are probably the two most common. Or would you prefer B, an affirmative that specified a single country and only eliminated a single nuclear weapon? And so probably most uh, common version of this affirmative would be the U.S. ICBMs AF. Uh, there are also other AFs like this, like the U.S. Tactical Nuclear Weapons AF. Uh, so between A and B, which one would you all prefer? Clearly B. First of all, I think it much more mirrors the real-world discussion that actually happens around nuclear weapons. There are very few articles that talk about how the United States and Russia should mutually completely disarm immediately. That's not a real discussion that happens. Either it's a discussion more broadly of nuclear disarmament, in which those countries are kind of implicated, um, or, you know, it's about reductions or treaties. It's not really about what the actual app is about. But there are plenty of articles about why a particular type of weapon in a particular country has destabilizing or stabilizing effects. So I think that more mirrors real discussion, has a real lit base that makes sense. Um, so I like it for those reasons. I also think it is more fair for the reasons we just discussed. It avoids the sort of actor collusion problems that Jacob described with his theory of fiat. and it's just a more rational discussion to have. Yeah, I think I'm with Chris on this one. I think that basically every single multi-actor plan country spec thing that I've seen does seem to be sort of abusing that, you know, utopian nature of fiat even more egregiously than like the whole SFs are. Like the India, Pakistan specifically do this thing. And then if the neg just fiat's the way war, we'll call it cheating. Uh, Afs just seem to be sort of like, that's just like a, a boring debate. The AF says, I make this ridiculous assumption that makes my AF work. And then the neg says the same thing. And then you just get this non-issue of both sides to solve the conflict. Um, whereas there is at least in principle, you know, potential for good discussion over particular, you know, changes in nuclear weapons policy in a particular country. Like I know I judged at least one really nice, interesting substantive debate on like whether the U.S. should eliminate the ICBM um, third of its nuclear triad that there's you know, solid evidence on both sides, it mirrors the real world policy dilemma, et cetera. I can imagine an AF that fell into the former category still doing that. Like if you had good evidence that like the US and Russia should jointly sign some arms control treaty that gets rid of nukes with like, some you know, empirical method for how that 
works and is effective, then an app that specified multiple countries could still potentially uh, do that. I just haven't seen any of those multi-country apps actually bother to do that. And so at least of the apps I've seen, definitely the, the ones that specify a, a singular country and then maybe a type of arsenal are just seem like a more fruitful area of debate than the apps that just sort of wish away some particular nuclear dyad. I've seen one example of that kind of app, Jacob, which is U.S. and Russia rejoin the INF treaty. That's, I think, the only example I've seen. Yeah, that's fair. I wouldn't have any particular objection to that one over um, just U.S. rejoins, I think, then. Agreed. I mean, I think, you know, if you were AF and didn't care about logic slash fairness and whatnot, you should pick A. I mean, the best objection to India and Pakistan not disarming is that the other one won't disarm. So let's just kind of uh, imagine our way past that. Um, but I agree that if we're interested in having much more substantive debates, much more interesting debates, the better evidence for both sides clearly exists in single country, single weapons AFs, even though it seems pretty obvious that the only word in the topic they don't violate at that point in time is nuclear arsenals, um, because they definitely violate everything else. All right. Do we have any uh, last minute thoughts about this topic? I just really quick want to, this is sort of a tangent, but on the single actor one weapon plans. The examples we've given, like ICBM, I think that's really substantive. Have you guys seen this this new app that's really popular in all these online tournaments, the W seventy six two? I have not heard this app yet. The W seventy six two is that is that one of the tactical nuclear weapons that we have? No, that's a B sixty two. What is what is this? Tactical nuke that literally the first one was put on a submarine in January. We have like five of them total, and uh, they're apparently really. Oh no, I've seen this. Yeah, yeah. Does that change, like, how, how small can the AF get before you change your mind on this comparison, or is, or is no AF small enough? I, I, I don't know. I mean, like, when you Google W76-2 low-yield weapon, the first result that I get is, like, why we need the W76-2 low-yield nuke. Seems like good lit over this. I'd be totally happy to cut the case neg to this. So I assume for the, the question earlier, it was sort of, like, in theory, which of these AFs leads to more productive debates, right? Like, given the, the fourth choice. Um, if you're asking what I actually think is sort of the, the true norm of the topic, it's that neither of those apps is topical. I think the, the, the correct limit is the app has to actually completely get rid of nuclear arsenals or damn near close to that, just because, I mean, eliminate means eliminate. I, it just seems patently obvious to me. Um, I, in fact, here's something I've seen every one of these apps do without fail, is I, I've judged a number of these apps that specifies like some minor subset. And they'll say something like, you know, the United States should eliminate its ICBMs, right? And that's the plan. And then you ask, well, well, how many of those ICBMs are you getting rid of? And they'll be like, all of them, obviously. And then you ask, you know, what part of the plan text says that? And they're like, well, the plan says eliminate them. And then there's like, beyond being not topical, these plans are just like genuinely incoherent in the way they are conceiving of language because the plan text itself uses eliminate to mean we get rid of all ICBMs or we get rid of all submarines or whatever. And then when you read, oh, well, eliminate means all, right? You just said that. And they're like, no, no, no. <laughs> eliminate just means like 30% for the purpose of the topic, even though I use the, the exact same verb in my plan the way it obviously is meant to be used. And it's just this sort of like weird... The twilight zone of language, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like even you in your own plan are not using the word the way you're asserting it can, it, that it functions. It's just it's bizarre to me beyond all reason. How anyone thinks eliminate doesn't mean eliminate. <laughs>
I, I will say, usually, uh, I'm like kind of on the opposite side of these debates, just because, you know, West Coast tends to read plans regardless, and it doesn't really matter how closely that adheres to the truth. But even independent of that, just like, again, on this topic, why would you read a smaller AF? We've mentioned like, the reason we like these smaller AFs is because they're better for the neg, like they have great ground, but like, why not just pick the big whole res AF? whatever you know as much as we've bashed on some of the things that have been occurring on this topic i do want to reiterate like i still think this is like an a plus topic that overall quality of the debates have been very high the quality of evidence i think that's been proliferating in debate on this topic specifically is way better than some of the earlier topics although some of the earlier topics from this year were bad and that was another reason for that but overall I, i've really been enjoying the research the judging the debates that have happened and the discussions that kids have been having about this topic overall and so i don't want to make this seem like here we are like three old uh, debate lifers bashing on all the young new trends in debate like i some of them are, are silly but overall i think the trend is in 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 a good direction i mean in the context of history i think we've had two pretty good topics so far this year oh the the fossil fuel subsidies one yeah which has its problems but i think overall compared to the body of topics is pretty good. Yeah, I, I didn't really do any research on it, so I couldn't really tell you for sure. But it, it seemed much better than, well, standardized testing, for instance. I'll actually say I thought standardized testing went better than fossil fuels. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of either. I think nukes is clearly the winner of the three. Um, but if I, had to, if I had to pick, I think fossil fuels, like, it was just the, the true neg arguments were just trivial picks. Like there, there wasn't only good ground for like the neg not getting them because the topic clearly suggested that they do. Um, and they're, they're just clearly better ground than anything else. And the AF just has to read an AF that becomes relevant pretty quick when the negative races to like the lie heap pick or something like that. But anyways, the, this topic is great. Debates on it have been great. Thoroughly have enjoyed it so far, even if there are some things that we wish that we could change. Well, that's our episode. Hope you all found it informative and interesting, and maybe helpful for the TOC this weekend. We're really excited to see where this podcast can go, and we look forward to hearing back from you. One thing we're going to do in future episodes is have a mailbag segment where we answer questions from you, the listeners. Please submit your episode suggestions, mailbag questions, or feedback with us at the form linked below. Thanks again to Victory Bruce for sponsoring this episode. Now, in order to take your mind off what's happening outside, uh, we have a media recommendation. Um, I know I'm a little late to the game with this recommendation, but I put off watching Tiger King on Netflix for a few weeks because I was worried it wouldn't live up to the hype. But Nails and I actually watched it together recently, and uh, I can say it was as good, um, if you can define it as good, uh, as everyone said it was. It was... Um, fascinating for me to watch because Joe Exotic is from Oklahoma, which is where I'm from, and I remember hearing about that guy in our local news a few years before, and it's especially jarring to hear cities in the show that I've lived in or been to. Uh, very strange. Um, I promise not all of Oklahoma is like that, uh, but it is also a little bit painful to just see how many things they got right about Oklahoma, like when they show shots of the people who attend that zoo. Um, yep, those are average Oklahomans for you right there. Um, if Tiger King isn't your thing or you've uh, already watched it, um, then I also recently watched Parasite, which is now streaming for free on Hulu, which is free if you have a student Spotify account. Anyways, that's our show for this week and good luck 
to everyone competing at the ETOC.